Harvest Community Church. I'm coming to your living room or your cell phone straight from beautiful Catanning, Pennsylvania. And I have some uh, good news, uh, hopefully good news for all of us. Um, not Obviously not this weekend, but next coming weekend on Sunday, June the 7th, we are going to begin meeting in our buildings in all four campuses. Now, I want to be careful for those of you who come Friday night in Catanning. We are not meeting Friday, June the 5th. We begin on Sunday, June the 7th. Now, as we meet, um, you might be wondering, what's that going to be like? I know you've been keeping up with Big Fred's Bites and and announcements, but uh, if you haven't, let me kind of quick just spell out, let's say, the, the atmosphere Uh, we want to have. First of all, we want to acknowledge that if you're a high-risk person and you're worried about being safe, we're going to keep the the videos coming to you on the same schedule they're on now. So you don't have to come out till you're comfortable. And that's what we'd say. Care for yourself, right? If, if If you are not comfortable coming out, Yet, that's just fine with us. Secondly, if you feel like you may have a cold or you have any kind of a fever or you just don't feel well, we're going to ask you out of love to just stay home then too. Or um, you might say, well, I know I don't have COVID. That may be, but just in case and out of love for your neighbor, if you would just stay home, we'll we'll have this on the TV for you again, or on your computer, or whoever you watch this. Um, now, for those of you who are going to show up, um, what do we do about social distancing? Well, when we get here, um, we're going to do what we can. But for the most part, when you come, we want you to love one another and not put one another on the spot. Now, let me explain that a little. I was in South Carolina last week with my son and daughter-in-law and brand new uh, baby Lila that they had, and, and in South Carolina, it's a different world. In fact, as soon as I left Pennsylvania and got to West Virginia, I went into a Sheets, because Sheets means Pennsylvania to me, born in Altoona, Pennsylvania. So I went into the Sheets there, and I had my little mask on, because Pennsylvanians do that, and nobody had a mask on but the workers. And I thought, wow, this is something. West Virginia doesn't have masks on. Well, neither did North Carolina, and South Carolina Nobody almost was wearing a mask except a worker here or a worker there. And I found myself liking that. I like that. And and people weren't standing too close together or breathing on each other. And I think we can manage ourselves. And you may be of the opinion, well, yeah, that's where I am. I don't want to wear a mask. And I think I cannot breathe on people. I get that. But I want to make an argument that says... We're going to ask you to cover your face when you're in close proximity to people here at Harvest, not because, you mean, you may or may not think you need to, but it's an act of love for those around you who may be in danger because you might be sick or they just might think they're in danger. Either way, does it matter? It's really not that big a deal. You can bring a bandana or a mask and... Just keep it over your face. The, the goal we want is love for one another. Now, there's another area where we have to love one another. I am a toucher, a hugger. I, I, I just can't deny it. Um, when I see a Christian, I normally want to give him a hug. 
<laughs> men, I'll hug men probably more than I do women. And men, often they're, they're very manly and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I can't help it. I just got to hug folks. And, but here's what, I'm not going to hug anybody and I'm not going to put out my hand to shake your hand. And you might say, well, I feel free to shake hands. Can I just wink at you and say, it's okay with me? Look, I too feel comfortable with that. But not everyone feels comfortable with that. And out of love, if I start shaking hands with everyone who feels comfortable, some people are going to not feel comfortable. Now, this won't last forever, folks. I got a feeling very quickly we'll be getting back to normal, normal life. But as we start out, I'm asking all of us, If we can just, out of love for our brothers and sisters, be careful about these things, all right? So I won't be hugging you or shaking your hands, but I'll be wanting to. I definitely will be wanting to do both, patting you on the back and whatever it is, (laughs) I do. Some of you are going to be like, good, I don't want to see. Pastor Mike hugs me too much, some of you guys might be saying, (laughs) you know, but sorry about that. But um, we're just going to take it easy and respect the authorities. This isn't political. We're going to show some respect, but we are going to worship our God together. And as the weeks go by, we'll just play it by ear and do everything we can because we are free in Christ. So I'm looking forward to that, and I'll see you uh, then, God willing. Now, let's get on to our sermon. We're in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 31. Mark 10, 17 to 31. So good to have Pastor Mike Harvey bring the message last week. And he brought it home so well. He was not, he let us know about how Jesus said to, to treat children, let them come to Jesus. But he also made the strong point that the kingdom of God is reserved for people who will come to Jesus like a child. Who will come knowing they're helpless <laughs> and they can't fix themselves. They have no power, no status, and, and, and Jesus will receive them. Well, today we have someone coming to Jesus who wants something from them who's not a kid, he's a grown-up. And as we go through this message, really the, the, the theme for getting into the kingdom of God is, is treasure. <laughs> Where is your treasure? You know, Jesus in one place said, you cannot serve God in money. There is something about treasure, the things that, if, in the big picture, God made the whole world and he put us on it and he gave everything in the world to mankind freely. And he said, you can go ahead and call dibs on some things. You can call dibs on land. You can call dibs on certain animals. And those are yours. You can have private property. You can own these things. And you can trade your things and you can gain more things. Because this is a good earth and Jesus, God, gives us the whole thing. But then, because of the fall, we have a treasure problem. He says, look, you're starting to love the things I gave you so much that you think they're the treasure, and you forgot that I'm the treasure. In other words, we love the gift more than the giver. This is a tendency, not of some of us, but of every human heart. This is why Jesus says you cannot love God and man and money. You're going to love one or the other. The difficulty is you can't live in a world without possessions. So you're going to have to deal with possessions. You say, well, if I don't want to love anything but you, God, then I need to get rid of all possessions. Well, then you'll die within just a couple of weeks because food is a possession and clothing. So so how do we handle it? That really is the theme running through uh, this text is how do we do treasure and the kingdom of God? So let's, let's get started. 
with this story. Verse 17, as Jesus was setting out on his journey, a man ran up. He just is boogieing over to him. He's in a hurry. And, and, before, and he knelt before him. Someone runs up, he kneels before him. So he's, he's obviously showing Jesus respect. This is not a man like the Pharisees coming to test Jesus. He doesn't want to trip Jesus up. He wants something from Jesus, and he assumes a humble position. He doesn't demand it. He just, he runs up, says, hey, there you are. There you are, the, the one some people call Messiah. And he hits the ground, and he asks him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I mean, there's a desperation you can feel right in his physical posture of running and hitting his knees. <laughs> Slides in, please, what must I do? He wants eternal life. He's eager to find out what Jesus will say. Can somebody give me the answer? You can feel the question. And you know why? It's because mankind is obsessed with how can I get eternal life and has always been obsessed, and rightly so. Throughout the ages and even today, people are obsessed with the question about what happens after I die, not because they're just curious, right, but because they have a stake in it. When everyone's going to die, what happens to me? Uh, When I was a kid in Florida, hey, we, we were told every year, I don't know why they kept drawing it into our heads, that the discoverer of Florida was a guy named Ponce de Leon. Funny name, Ponce. Who calls our kid Ponce? Well, the de Leons, that's who does. And they said Ponce de Leon came to Florida because he wanted to find the fountain of youth. If only he'd realized that sun will age your skin really fast. He should have went like to Norway. But in any case, he went to Florida to find the fountain of youth. He believed in in the idea that somewhere he would find a place where if you drink the water, you don't get old. Well, he didn't, and he's dead. Um, But that's normal for mankind. They want to find how to live an eternal life. That's why there is religious adherence. This is why Muslims do what Muslims do. Islamists do what Islamists do. The Hindus do what the Hindus do. It's why most people do religion. They're worried about the next life. And and that's why there's anti-aging research, right? You want to have some fun? Go on Google and look at anti-aging. There's people really into it. They think they can come up with a way where the human cells, as they reproduce, don't lose their elasticity. So you can have youth forever. And and the very rich in in Silicon Valley, there's some really cool stories, maybe some of them are true, about how they're doing weird and perhaps even unethical things to keep themselves young. No one wants to die. No one even wants to get old. They want eternal Life. So often we look for immortality through making a mark on the earth. We want to accomplish something no one's accomplished, so we're remembered throughout history. Some people even do evil deeds to be remembered as doing great evil for history. Some people want, they name, they name countries or cities or states or businesses after themselves so that no one will forget them. And, and they, the, um, they want to achieve immortality through their work. Woody Allen, many years ago, was asked, as the, the filmmaker, they said, he said, Do you, are you trying to achieve immortality through your work? He says, no, I want to achieve immortality by not dying. <laughs> it was much more practical. Through my work, that's one thing, but I'd rather just not die. It is such a human... You have this in you. Sometimes we just try to stay busy so we don't have to think about the fact that we're going to die because we're worried about eternal life. Well, this man wants life after death, and he's going to ask Jesus, can you help? So Jesus answering this question is good for all of us. He kind of, you ever have, 
have a group of people and, and someone says, let's ask a question, and no one wants to ask the question because they're embarrassed. But fortunately, one guy doesn't mind embarrassing himself, raises his hand and asks the question, and, and it sounds kind of stupid, but you're glad he asked because <laughs> everyone wants to know the answer. Everyone wants to know this answer. And Jesus said to him, why did you call me good? Because he came up and said, good teacher. No one's good except God alone, right? So Jesus just lays that down. He let, let, why does Jesus do that? Why does he nitpick? Nothing comes of this, by the way. He says, no one is good but God alone. And then he gets on with a conversation. Nothing comes of it. Why did Jesus nitpick that? I think there's a very good reason. Um, just to quickly um, comment on it. No human being is good but God alone, right? All of sin falls short of the glory of God. Some have struggled with this, thinking Jesus is saying he's not good. He's not saying that. He's asking a question, why did you call me good? Because I'm a man. In fact, he is good. He's the only man who never sinned. The Bible says he was like us in all ways, but without sin. And Jesus is also God. We know that we have one God and three persons. And though he took on the form of a man, in his nature, he is God. So he is actually good. But why did Jesus establish, why did he point this out? One of the things that it does, it implies is, the man asking the question is not good, right? No, if none are good, you're not good, and you just asked me how to get eternal life. So we have a not good man asking Jesus, the Messiah, the good man, how do I get eternal life? And in fact, look where Jesus turns. He turns to morality right away. He says, You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. He he goes right to the Ten Commandments, to laws, to rules, doesn't he? Why does he do that? The question, follow the logic, how do I get eternal life? Jesus, without explaining why, says, well, do you follow the Ten Commandments? The man doesn't say, wait a minute, I wonder how to get eternal life, I didn't ask how to behave. But mankind naturally equates eternal life with a morally upright life. (laughs) Right? Have you ever noticed this? Think about it. Look in culture to culture, nation to nation, people to people, religious group to religious group, anywhere in the world, anytime in history, people naturally think I have to be good if I'm going to get eternal life. What's the whole deal with karma? Your soul continues to be reborn until you learn to live a more moral life. And then you can achieve what they call nirvana, right? And in all religions, they say, behave until you are good. Even atheists today love to tell us that you can be an atheist and still be good. Why do you want to say that? Who cares? You're an atheist. (laughs) It's natural to mankind to think, to, to equate goodness with longevity, with eternal life, with pleasing God. And so Jesus goes there. And he says, well, how are you doing with the commandments? Have you murdered anyone? Are you committing adultery? Do you steal? And the man said to him, verse 20, Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. Oh, well, (laughs) we're dealing with a heck of a guy. He's like, you're looking, I am your poster boy for uh, these... uh, I'm a good boy, right? <laughs> but, 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 but the fact that he's there on his knees saying, how do I get eternal life, shows that he senses he needs more. He's like, I, it, it's as if he's saying, look, I've been as good as I could. 
I've tried. I've tried my best. But, but here, he, here's a man who's convinced he's done as good as he can do. Who else would say, yeah, I've kept the Ten Commandments. So he's as good as he can be. Doesn't mean he's perfect because he ain't. No one is except Jesus. But he's as good as he can be. And yet he feels like he doesn't have eternal life. Well, if he doesn't have eternal life, who does? Right? He, there's no assurance of salvation for those relying on their own moral goodness. And you might be thinking, well, that's a Christian doctrine he's teaching. That is a Christian doctrine, but I'm not. I'm making a life observation. This man isn't a Christian. He doesn't know Christian doctrine, and he believes that. I just heard the testimony of a Muslim who converted to Christ, and he talked about what a devout Muslim he was, how he stayed on the path, how he worked as hard as he could to do everything right, and he said he even wanted to die in a battle for, for Allah so that he could gain paradise. He said he did all that he could to try to ensure that he would have an afterlife, and he never had peace about it. So the Jehovah Witnesses who knock on your door are constantly working because they're told if they don't knock on enough doors, they might not get the prize. Human beings, no matter how good they are, they never are assured of their salvation. And that includes any form of Christianity that's come up throughout different countries and cultures throughout the years that relies on how you behave. If you want to do good works to get to heaven, you're never going to feel like you got there. You're going to be just like this very good Jewish man. He says, I've been trying. And, and he's not a Pharisee. He's trying. And you'll either end up like him, thinking, I tried my best, but it's not enough. Or you'll end up like the Pharisee, saying, well, the one thing I'm sure of is I'm better than you people. Right? And neither is a good place. It's, I guess it's better to be like this guy who's humbled by his inability to feel like he has eternal life even though he's been good. Um, that's better than being the uptight person who says, well, I'm a good Christian and I may not be perfect, but I'm better than you people. That's not good. But neither has assurance through their moral goodness, do they? Verse 21, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus, Jesus is cueing us to the feelings of God towards this man. God wants this man saved. Um, this will mess with your theology because this guy's not going to end up saved. But God wants him saved and he loves him. That'll only mess with some of your theology. And if you don't know how it messes with it, it's not time to explain it now. I'll simply point out that God's heart is that everyone would be saved, even those who are not elect. And I'll just leave it at that. He loved him. He loved the man. He had compassion on the man. He wants the man to get what he's looking for, eternal life. And so he's going to give him the answer. And this answer is important not just for this man, but for all of us human beings who want eternal life. Here's what he says to him. You lack one thing. You're missing something, aren't you? You know you're missing something. That's why you're on your knees. I'm going to tell you what it is. Go and sell everything you have. And give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. There's the answer. The question, how can I attain eternal life? Jesus just gave him the answer. If he gave you the answer, how would you feel? 
he was, what must I do to gain eternal life? Jesus, I have kept the commandments as best I can. Okay, okay. You know what you don't have, young man? You don't have treasure in heaven. You do have it on earth, but you don't have it in heaven. So, here's what you're going to do. You're going to get rid of all your earthly treasure, and you're going to give it to poor people. (laughs) And then, you're going to go where I go. You're going to join this band of disciples and apostles and the women who are with us, and you're going to join us. You're going to leave everything behind and join me, and you'll have eternal life. Now, that leads to some questions, and I'm going to deal with those questions briefly, but I'm not going to deal with them incompletely. In other words, I'm going to give you the answer. There may be more you want to talk about, but I'm going to give you the answer. Because here are the questions that come from that. Does eternal life come from selling your stuff? Does it come from taking a vow of poverty? Does poverty make you righteous? The answer is no. The Bible's clear on that. It does not. Poverty on earth does not equal riches in heaven. You say, well, he told him to sell all he had because he lacked riches in heaven. Give to the poor. He told him to sell all he had and give to the poor, but he also told him to do something else. Follow me. (laughs) So, So does eternal life come from giving your stuff away to the poor? The answer is no. Now, it's part of the equation here, and we'll talk about why, but just selling your stuff and giving to the poor will not get you to heaven. Giving more to charity won't get you there. In fact, Paul writes this precisely in 1 Corinthians 13, 3, when he says, if I give away all I have, but have love, I gain nothing. He said, I can give away everything I have. And obviously, to charity but I could still end up with nothing. Selling all you have doesn't get you the treasure in heaven. He didn't say I can give away all I have and not, and, and not have love and I still have treasure in heaven. He didn't say that. He says I have nothing. So where does the treasure come by? Following Jesus. That was the half where the treasure comes. <laughs> that was the half. He says, and follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. Why? Because Jesus is the treasure of heaven. Come get me. Jesus said things before in his ministry like, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You want eternal life. One of the ways he could have answered the question truthfully, Jesus could have left out all this stuff about treasure and about the Ten Commandments, and he, could have, he would have been truthful if he said, I am the way to eternal life. Why didn't he just say that? Because he's explaining what the man needs in a way he can understand. He's getting to the heart of the matter. And by so doing, he's giving us truths that we need to understand. So he didn't just say, I'm the way. He could have said, I'm the bread that comes down from heaven. Like he says elsewhere in the scripture, eat of me and you will live. He could have said, any who believes in me will not die. Like he says elsewhere. Instead, He deals with treasure. But getting rid of treasure doesn't get you to heaven. Following Jesus does. Well, that leads to the question, well, if following Jesus is the way to eternal life, why does Jesus tell the man to sell all he has and give it to the poor? To gain treasure in heaven. Why does he tell him to do that? Why didn't he just say, follow me? Okay, here's the answer. To follow Jesus, a person cannot bring their stuff. To follow Jesus, a man can't bring his stuff. To follow Jesus, a woman can't bring 
your stuff. Jesus taught this also in other places. John 12, he said, he who loves his life, what happens? He loses it. That love, that what he means there is if you love the gifts God has given you on this earth and that is where your treasure is, because what you love is your treasure, you're going to lose your life. But if you hate your life in this world, he says in John 12, 25, you will keep it into eternal life. See, there's a parting of what you treasure. In Luke 14, Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own mother, father, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, and by this, obviously he doesn't mean be cruel and hate because he teaches us to love even our enemies, so you should love your family members. What's he mean? He means your treasure is not in your mother, your father, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. And then he says, and yes, even his own life. If you don't hate your own life, your own treasure can't be your own life. Well, it's natural for me to have my treasure as my own life. I like my life. I want to accomplish things in my life. I want to do things in my life. I want to relax in certain ways, and vacation in certain ways, and work in certain ways, and know people in certain ways. I want to accomplish things in certain ways. I want to see things in certain ways. I want to see grandchildren grow up and get married. I want to, I want to affect people's lives for the gospel. My life, I'm really fond of. And he says, if you don't hate even that, and again, he doesn't mean hate is in the wicked sense of hate, want it to be destroyed. He means, if your treasure is that, you can't follow me. Let me read it again. This is from Luke 14, if you're wondering, verse 26 and 27. If anyone comes to me, does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers, yes, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. He doesn't say he'll be a middle-of-the-road disciple. He says, you're not in the club. You're not in the gang. <laughs> Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me can't be my disciple. A cross is an instrument of execution. So what you have to do is take everything you treasure in this world and execute it. And then you can follow Jesus. And it's one move, right? Right? You're like, well, no, that's two moves. No, it's one move. <laughs> it's one move because you can't follow him and treasure anything but him or above him. You can't. It's, it, it's kind of like golf. Golf is one, a golf swing is one move, right? Well, it is until you, someone tries to teach you how to do it right, hold your head still, put your legs right amount apart, make sure the ball's in the right place, keep your left arm straight, pull straight back, drive straight through, don't break your left wrist, there's a lot that goes into that. Yeah, but it's just one, one move. It really is just one move. And this is one move. To have eternal life, says Jesus, you hate your treasure on earth. You set it aside. So Jesus said to this guy, what I want you to do, now listen, because this is a question that comes up. I told you I'd answer it, and here, here comes the answer. It won't be as exhaustive as you like, but it will be the true answer. Jesus said to this guy, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me, right? People struggle with this concept because they, want, they say this, what am I allowed to own? Okay, I'm a middle class American Christian or upper class or lower class. Nevertheless, you're an American Christian, you own stuff. Am I allowed to own things or should I sell them all and give to the poor? That's a different decision because often what we Tell people to come to Christ, all you have to do is pray a prayer. God, Jesus, please come into my heart. 
But a prayer won't save you. What will save you? I'll get to that in a second. But what do we have to do? Do we, is, does this mean all of us should take a vow of poverty? Let me answer that question and say, give you some practical considerations. Before, before you, and by the way, if you think you should sell everything and give it to the poor to follow Jesus, do it. Just do it. You say, wait, Dave Ramsey wouldn't say that. Well, Dave Ramsey is a, is a good guy. I'm not saying anything about him, but he, his job is to teach people how to make and maintain money. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. But this is not Dave Ramsey advice. And if Jesus tells you to get rid of everything, what's it matter what anyone says? I wouldn't give you that advice in general, and I'm not Dave Ramsey. And I'm not that great at business, but I know that. But if you feel God's telling you to do that, do that. But I'd like to give you some practical considerations first. Notice this. This guy was invited to go with Jesus in that moment. And so there's a certainty of action. In other words, it, I got a feeling many of you would say, well, I would sell everything if Jesus told me to. I don't know if he's telling me to, right? Well, this guy knew. <laughs> the actual Jesus with his actual vocal cords said to his actual ears in a language he can understand, sell all you have. So he didn't have to ask the question, does Jesus want me to do this? Do you get what I'm getting at? You have to figure it out. He didn't. Secondly, there was another physical reality. Jesus wasn't saying, follow me in the way he says, follow me to you and I. We follow him with equal commitment, but physically it's a different experience. (laughs) In other words, we don't see him. We have him in the Holy Spirit. This guy had an actual body of Jesus with clothes on and sandals and a face. And what Jesus was telling this man to do was literally leave home and join him on his travels. And Jesus is not telling you to do that because he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. So when you follow him, your path is not as clear. Another practical consideration is if every Christian sold everything they had and gave it to the poor, every Christian would instantly be poor, eventually very quickly hungry and right away homeless, all in need of someone to care for them. And that is not the teaching of the New Testament. In fact, in the Bible, we're instructed to work with our hands so we can make enough money to provide for ourselves and for our family and for others in need and for the mission of God's kingdom. That's all in the Bible. You're supposed to work. One of the biggest problems in America is more and more generations are convinced they don't have to pay for things. They don't have to provide for themselves. The government should provide for you, right? Everything's provided. You shouldn't have to pay your own medical bills. Why? Because the insurance company is supposed to pay. Why? Why should an insurance company, why shouldn't you pay your bill? Well, because it's too expensive. (laughs) It's only getting more expensive if you don't pay it. But that's the way we think. But the Bible teaches you should work with your hands so you have sufficient to care for yourself. So you're not a burden to the church. You're not a burden to your family. In fact, you're a provider to the church, to those who have true needs physically, true needs, that you're there for them. And you can't do that if you sell all you have and give to the poor. So we have to see that when Jesus told that guy to sell all he has to give to the poor, as a practical reality, it's time for him to do that. But that is not a blanket statement to all Christians. But that doesn't mean nothing he said applies. 
So that leads to another question. Are we allowed to get as rich as we want then? (laughs) And not that guy? (laughs) That guy, you can have to be poor, but the rest of us, we can just pile on the dough. Well, here's the answer. Ready? Okay, here's your answer. Now, you may have questions later. I wish we had a conversational moment to talk about them. You can email them to me. Here's the answer. Are we as allowed to get rich as we want? Listen, though we might not be directly told to sell all, we have to make, listen, the same exact choice this man had to make. That's what being saved is. <laughs> right? We have to, to open our hands, because let's say your hands hold everything that is the treasure of earth, all the stuff of earth and your life and your time and all your hopes and dreams and, and all your money and, and everything you have on this earth. Say your hands are holding it. We hold like this. To come to Jesus, you can't grab Jesus with closed hands. <laughs> you can't. So you're going to well, okay. You don't just open your hands. Okay, forget it. And then you go. Right? All that we have is his. That's the transfer. <laughs> if the man were to sell all he had and give it to the poor, he really just gave it back to God. Because it all belonged to God, and God cares about the poor, and he spent God's money in a way God wanted spent at that moment. And that's what God wants. Open up your hands, get rid of your life, get rid of your house, get rid of your... It doesn't mean you move your house, but now your house isn't your house, is it? Look, the practical part of how this works out, this is the part you may want more definition, and I can't give it to you, but I will give you this. Each one of us has to work it out ourselves. And the level of generosity is going to pinch because part of us always loves this world and we're tempted to not let it go, but it's going to pinch to be generous at times and other times it's just going to be fun. But there's one thing I'm sure of, and this is for our map, the ownership of everything we have, even our own lives, must be relinquished when? At the moment we follow Jesus. It's all one move. So when we talk about how to be saved, (laughs) how to be saved, it's not through praying a prayer. You say, well, I prayed a prayer and got saved. Oh, you may have prayed a prayer at that moment, but that's not the transaction. That's just you speaking out the transaction, if you will. The transaction is going from loving this treasure to forsaking it and wanting Jesus. More on that in a second. Think about this. What do I own? What do I own? My house? No, that's God's house. (laughs) Well, I own my money. No, that's God's money. Do I own my things? No, that's God's things. Do I own my job? It's God's job. Do I own my hobbies? God's hobbies. My time, God's time. It's impossible to live life without all these possessions. I have to manage them. I have to have a place to live. I have to, to, to own things. But... They're not to be my treasure and not something I should cry to part with. Look, Jesus gave this man an outstanding invitation. Now, this guy is standing in front of the Savior who's going to die for the sins of the world and the Savior says, I will give you eternal life. And he goes, great, here's what you do. Sell what you got, follow me. What an opportunity 
Very few men in the history of the human race have got that kind of offer directly from the mouth of God. Would he take it? Would you, if that's the way Jesus was presented to you, not presented to you in a church building, not presented to you in a campfire meeting or a track, but Jesus stood in front of you and said, I'm going to be going places right now. You can have eternal life if you will leave everything and follow me. Would you pull out your planner and go, that's good, but I have, I'm getting married. I have an appointment. Oh, there's a big reunion for my family coming up. Oh, but I was going to buy a car. Oh, I was saving for this. Oh, but my stock is doing well. What would you do? And you say, well, he's not giving me that choice. He is giving you that choice. Just the way you play it out practically looks different. You've got to give that up. (laughs) Unless all... (laughs) Jesus has to be the treasure or it won't be enough for you to part with the world's treasures. In other words, to know God is to be obsessed with God, not with behavior. In other words, let me say it again. One of the reasons why so many people misunderstand God in the church is they think that Christianity is about behaving. And they try to fit good behavior in with their other treasures. I will behave like a good Christian. I'll go to church. I'll keep those same commandments. And I'll also keep my exact same values of my life. I'll just clean up the dirty parts. And, and they're trying to make behavior the goal. But beha- good behavior is not a sufficient exchange for everything you have. Give me everything you have. Okay, what do I get? You get to behave by these rules. That's how many people think of Christianity, no matter how many times you hear it differently. That is not the exchange. The exchange is this. Give me everything you have. What do I get? Jesus. The Christian life isn't, salvation isn't about a prayer. It's about wanting Jesus more. Period. That's what it means to be saved. I've measured my life, I've measured all I have, and I want Jesus more. That's it. Now, normally at that point, someone says, what do I do? You say, why don't you pray a prayer to receive him into your heart? But it's not that prayer. And that's why many people say, what do I got to do to be saved? Someone says, pray a prayer. Well, I'll pray a prayer, now I'm saved. And they still love their life, and they don't want Jesus more. And you don't realize it until life smashes against the true Jesus. Then they go on and make some sort of Instagram post saying how I used to play in a Christian band, but now I don't believe in God. Why? They never knew him. They never wanted him more. When I met Jesus at 19, I've often said, I don't even know why I became a Christian. I wasn't down on my luck. I was kind of happy. But I do know one thing. I was enamored with God. So, verse 22 How's this guy going to react? Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. (laughs) He had the choice. And and Jesus loved him. He's like, man, I see your problem. I'm going to free you from that problem right now. And the guy's like, I don't love you more. He looked to Jesus and said, I don't 
love you more. I, lo- I like you. I love you. If you made this comfortable, I just got to go to church once every month or so and just try not to do sins people see. I'll say I believe in you because I do. Sure, you're true. If you made it easy, I'd do it. But you want me to love you more than everything I have? I just don't. And he went away sad. (laughs) He didn't get the eternal life, but he got to keep his stuff. That's a bad choice. So verse 23, let's see how Jesus reacts to this. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, because they need an explanation, right? This is a teachable moment. You guys just see what happened here? Yeah. What's it mean? Let me tell you. How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Why? Because wealthy people are more evil than poor people? Absolutely not. (laughs) You have evil, wealthy people, and you have evil, poor people. And you have faithful, wealthy people and faithful, poor people. No, wealth doesn't make you evil, and good is, there's nothing noble about being poor. No, he says, they love that stuff. And it's hard for them to see that I'm the better treasure. Well, he doesn't say that. That's the implication. How difficult will it be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of heaven? And the disciples were amazed at his words. They're like, what? Difficult? <laughs> but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult is it is to enter the kingdom of heaven? Now they're really scared. <laughs> you, you didn't say anything about the rich people there. You just said it's hard to get into the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if you're the camel, (laughs) you don't want anyone to try. (laughs) Someone breaks out a sewing needle and tries to shove a camel through it. I've heard people say, well, he's talking about a very low arch and the camel would have to go under it. And that was called the eye of the needle. I don't know where that legend came up, but it's not true. He meant a needle. (laughs) Camel. Through a needle. Thin him out, pull him through. It's easier to do that than to get a rich person into heaven. Oh my goodness. Well, their, 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 their response was, made sense. They were exceedingly astonished. They went from being amazed to exceedingly astonished. What does exceedingly astonished look like? I don't know. They're like, whoa, what are you talking about? I don't know. Ah, did you hear him? Ah, I heard him. Ah, did you hear him? Ah, they're like, ah, how are we going to get saved? And they said to him, then who can be saved if it's so difficult for everybody and especially rich people? Camel, needle, who's going to be saved? And then Jesus looked at them. And said, with man, it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. How will Americans be saved? We have so much. We have so much compared to the rest of the world. And if it's so hard for the rich, people with refrigerators, with food in it, and with cars, and their own bedroom, and their own bed, and their own clothing, more than one set, more than two set, more than ten sets, and a government that gives them more money when they run out, family members. How can Americans be saved? It's, we have so much. He says, with you, it's impossible, because you can't bring your stuff. You can't love this stuff. You're going to have to hate this stuff, including your good life. 
I mean, heck, if Americans, if we lived in a war zone somewhere, if we lived in Nigeria where Christians are getting whacked and people are getting kidnapped, go ahead, kill me. This is painful. But no, we're in America. It's good life. Don't love this good life. No, that's what I'm saying. Let it go. And take the treasure. It's one move. Well, how can that happen? Well, it can't by us, but here's the hinge of the door to heaven. You want to open the door to heaven? You know what's on the hinge? The words, with man, salvation is impossible, but not with God. <laughs> that's, on, that's written on the hinge, or maybe it's on the key that goes in the lock. With man, this is impossible, but not with God. Man, get this. This is the heart. Listen to what Jesus is explaining to them. He's saying, it looks impossible for that guy to get into heaven. I can get him in. He can't get himself in. He's working hard. He's doing the commandments. He's, he's living a good life. He's, he's, but uh, he can't get in. I can get him in. Can a man get in with his good religion? You know, there are many ways to heaven. You don't have to just take Jesus. You can be a sincerely good person in any faith and get to heaven. No, you can't. Nope. Your religion's not enough because no man's good. Well, the wealthy are obviously better than the rest of us. Nope. Science and genetics will give me eternal life. Nope. (laughs) Look at me. I have perfectly elastic cells. Here comes a bus. Boom! (laughs) Not anymore. Man's goodness? Nope. But God can do what man could not because God, here we go, ready for the gospel, sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish and have eternal life because God made Jesus who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. The cross is the doorway into heaven. And only God could do the cross. Only God could become a man who never sinned. Only God could become a man who never sinned and was the righteous substitute and sacrifice and payment for sin. And only God could, after paying for sin, raise from the dead. And only God, with that great power that raised him from the dead, forgive the sins of those who come to Jesus and raise them from the dead and give them the treasure of God forever and ever, eternal life. How about you? This man said, can I attain eternal life? And, and, and he was so close. He was within inches of eternal life. He was looking up. He could see eternal life's kneecaps. Depending on the length of Jesus' clothes. <laughs> he could see eternal life's feet. He was this close. And Jesus said, okay. Why you going to just love me more than what? Fill in the blank. And follow me. <laughs> How about you? I'm not going to try to force you into heaven. I would try to beg you into heaven, argue you into heaven, (laughs) but not coerce. It's your choice. Is this world worth so much to you that you'd say in that moment, no, I'm going to keep what I have. I've got a bad back. Following you is going to be hard. When You chose him. He was your treasure, wasn't he, Christian? If not, is he your treasure now? And and as you live the Christian life, the key is not in getting your life right. It's not in behavior. The key is in wanting more of Jesus than you have because he's better. Peter 
thinks through all, all that he just heard. Uh, he's like, okay, I feel a little better <laughs> that I can be saved. And I also see that that man made the choice not to give up his stuff and follow Jesus. But what about me? I made that choice. And so did my buddies. And look what Jesus says. Peter began to say to him, see, we left everything and followed you. It's almost as what happens to us. We did this. And listen to Jesus' beautiful answer. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands. Look at what is treasure to those people. Treasure is other people. And, and if you haven't figured out that the greatest treasure in your life is the relationships you have, you don't understand life. But you, you've left your house, your home, your brothers, your sisters, your mother, your father, your children, your land. You left it behind. We had that great catch of fish, and I said, leave the fish. We're out of here. And you did it for my sake and for the gospel. There's no one who does that who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses, brothers, mothers, children's lands. You left all that, but you, uh, in this earth, in this time, guess what? You're going to get all those. Does he mean, I'm going to be wealthy? No. No, no. He's talking about the church. He, he's talking about the church. There are many who won't go with you because you're going to follow Christ. But you're going to find a band of people who are your brothers and sisters. Christians, it's almost impossible to create a Christian community that loves one another too much. Not in the proper, clean, good way of love. It's, it's easy to find them that have very little love. But God's intention for the church is that nobody is without a brother. No one's without a sister. No one is without a home, a place to sleep, food. No one is without love. Right? We exist at Harvest to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. All our mission and all our evangelism and all our outreach and all our preaching is worth nothing if we do not create a community of family. Um, People who love with open hands. And their mind, what their greatest desire is for Jesus. Not for their fellow Christian, but for Jesus And then that becomes love for their fellow Christian. Well, anyway, Jesus continues. He's not done. He says one other thing. You're going to have lands and homes and brothers and sisters. But then he says, with persecutions. (laughs) How's that for a fly in the ointment? Wait, if I left everything, I get hundredfold lands and brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and food and whatever I need. But now you're saying (laughs) there's also persecution? Yeah. Why? We're in a fallen world. Then he says, and in the age to come, (coughs) eternal life. So there's, you can see the Christian life, you leave everything, your treasure, you follow Jesus, and you you receive the church, the community, and you receive Christ, and you run after Jesus your whole life. You don't run after good behavior. You run after Jesus, and you'll see behavior will take care of itself. You run after Jesus, because he's the one you want the most of. But there's still going to be a lot of pain in this life, but there's going to be a wall in time, boom, where everything changes Jesus returns, the new age has come. And then that, that is the eternal life. That's the prize the man began the question with. What do I do to gain eternal life? Well, he not only told him, he told us all. You leave everything. You give up your treasure and you make me worth more than everything. And prove it. Don't just say, well, I believe he's worth more now. Give me more stuff. No, you prove it by the way you live your life because you want him. 
then yeah, you're going to have a community, you're going to live in this life, but the age to come will come, and then you'll get that wonderful time when nothing is broken. For our map, you get family and homes, but you also get persecution in this life. We do not have a perfect world yet. This is in the map. The whole beautiful world is scarred with pain. And this good life is marred by death. People of earth will at times hate you for following Jesus, but that's okay, because when this good life ends, a better one begins. We are not alone in this painful world. Yes, the world is painful. It's also beautiful. Life is hard. It's also great. But we're not alone. We have Jesus, and we have one another, and we have eternal life. But if your treasure is in this earth, and you think you're going to live the Christian life, you will constantly, constantly be kicking against something that hurts you. Jesus ends his teaching like this, but many who are first will be last and last first. In other words, some will have great treasure and seemingly everything here, and nothing later. I heard Betty White's almost like a hundred. Sweet as she is, she's also a dirty woman. If you listen to her talk, her, her language is filthy. She shows no evidence of salvation, but she's been a happy person. I, I like Betty White. Who doesn't like? You're a mean person if you don't like Betty White. I like Betty White. <laughs> right? But if she doesn't find Jesus, she will be last. And her sins, because she's not good. None of us are good. No one's good but God. Until she values Jesus more, she has no treasure. First will be last, but some here will lose all. And some will lose it young. <laughs> but they'll have eternal life. How then shall we live? This won't take long. We're almost finished. Four answers. One, give up all we own to God because it all belongs to Him. I belong to God. All I own belongs to God. Greed, stinginess, ambition to be better and greater than others by our wealth and what we have and our influence. Give it up. The regular discipline of letting go of your stuff, of your treasure, needs to mark the Christian life. Live with the joy of generosity. Think of yourself now, Christian. Would you say, looking at the totality of your stuff, and I mean all your stuff, and your life, and your time, and all your dreams, would you say you are filled with the joy of giving that away? Or not? Open hands, folks. It doesn't belong to me. Share what you have. Share yourself. And don't cut deals. I once had someone walk up to me and go, hey, listen, I heard that if you tithe your time to the church, you don't have to tithe your money. I don't even know what to do with that. Do you think God is, that's how God does his economy? You're trying to figure out exactly what you could parse out for God. I'll give him a tenth of my time. I want to give a tenth of my money. I should have said, but I was more polite. Well, maybe I should have stayed polite, but... I did try to answer it. The answer is, lady, God owns 100% of your time and 100% of your money. Why are you trying to figure out what part you get to keep? Don't cut deals. Just give them all. Two, actively live as members of God's family. 
meeting the needs of our brothers and sisters and being vulnerable about our own needs. It's very important you get this. Be the family of God that you want to be a part of. I cannot tell you how many people who sometimes will say things like, I used to go to that church, but then somebody in my family got sick and they didn't notice and they didn't visit. So they obviously aren't a caring church and I left. Or I used to go to that church and I sit there every Sunday in the same seat and no one would talk to me. Okay, that is not a Christian mindset. It's just not. I'm not saying no one should, should have visited or certainly someone should have said hello. But that's not Jesus' way. Jesus has not come to be served but to serve. So if that's you, repent of that sin and start saying, I come and sit in the same seat. Why do I do that? I'm not meeting anybody. I need to get out of my seat, find someone else who always sits in the same seat and say, have you met anyone yet? How about me? Find someone else and ask them, oh, you have someone in the hospital, I will go and visit. Be the family of God that you want to be a part of. And it will become the family of God. Treat others, get this, more warmly, ready, than comes naturally. If you just wait till you're effervescent with emotion towards others, you will only go to the people you're comfortable with. And for some of you, that's nobody. Be warmer than comes natural. Learn the habit of loving like Jesus. It's not natural. But the Spirit of God will empower you if you'll take that step. Compete. You want to compete with your, with your brothers and sisters? Compete with who can show each other the most respect, honor, and kindness. See if you can beat your neighbor at outserving them. The Bible says do that. Outdo one another in honor, it says. Be authentic, vulnerable, to receive the help you need. You don't have to bear all your burdens on your sleeve, but if you're going without what you need emotionally, physically, intellectually, then you got to tell your brothers and sisters. Go to worship services. Go to the homes of others. Have others come to your home. You can't do community without community. Now, some of you may have never, you just don't go to church, but you listen online now with the pandemic. I'm telling you, you, you need to, it's good to do this, but you need to get out when it's time to get out and it's safe to get out. Go to a church that loves the Lord and loves the Bible. And you might say, well, I like your church, but I don't live close enough. Then move here. <laughs> or perhaps what's more practical, quit, don't look for perfection. Not, wait, that didn't come out right. We're not perfect. Don't look for what preferences you think are best. Just look for a halfway decent bunch of people who love God. And join them, because that's what we all are anyway. Halfway decent people love God. Three, enjoy the good life. Enjoy this good life, enduring persecution patiently. Jesus said you're going to have brothers and sisters and homes and persecution. There's laughter in the church. Enjoy. If you're going to have food, don't sit there thinking, oh, I could have sold this food and bought it for the poor. Okay, if you're going to do that, don't buy that meal. If you're going to buy that meal, say, God, thank you for this meal. And my brothers and sisters are with me. Enjoy this good life. But endure the hardness of this world without being bitter. Live with hope. We live in a fallen world and the good things here can fall apart for you in a moment. But take hope. The night is almost gone, friends. The day will soon arrive. And finally, follow Jesus every day. I know you can't see his physical body, but you know what he taught. 
and you have his Holy Spirit in you. Do not seek to live a well-behaved Christian life. Seek the closeness of Jesus. And if any of you say, wait a minute, don't say don't be well-behaved. People will lose control and do sins. People will lose control and do sins if they want to. The only way to stop losing control and doing sins is to want something else more. Not because you're being policed by an overbearing preacher in church that watches you all the time. If you want to stop doing church or sins, what you need to do is love Jesus more. Look for him more. Make that your Christian life. I don't have enough God. I don't have enough God. Whatever the problem is, I don't have enough God. I need more God. Let go of the things of earth. Do good for others. Follow Jesus because eternal life is yours. Let's pray. I want to pray for you, Father in heaven, for everyone who's been listening online, not just now, but for weeks. I pray your Holy Spirit fall into their living rooms, into their homes, into their hearts, and fill them with a love for God, just a wanting of God, a needing of God, and a desire to get more of God. And when anything pulls them away, whether it be another person, whether it be a sin, whether it be their stuff, whether it be their plans, I pray that, they, that you would show them that they can just let that go. No, I want God. I want God. And for those who are just meeting you for the first time, I pray you put a burning in their heart to find Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.